My name is Gino Barbaro, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today's episode is with a very passionate and exciting man, Gino Barbaro. Gino is an investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur. As a real estate investor, he has grown his portfolio to over $100 million in asset under management and is teaching others how to do the same. Gino is the co-founder of Jake and Gino, a multifamily real estate educational company that offers coaching and training. And on top of all of that, he is also a best-selling author of three books. In this episode, you will hear Gino's extreme passion for wanting to help people, whether it be inside his community, in the real estate investment networks, or just through charities. We also cover how he is able to build his business and lifestyle while having six kids. Yes, you heard that right. All six of them. And one of our favorite topics that we talked about was all about his core values and why he is so freaking passionate about them. This episode is full of golden nuggets and there is something for everybody inside this episode. And I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed interviewing Gino Barbaro. All right. We're excited to welcome Gino Barbaro from Jake and Gino to the show. Gino, it is a pleasure to have you on the Go Big to Give Big podcast. Randy and Steve, thanks for having me on. It's been a couple of years. We're out in California networking and in a great group. And what happens through these masterminds becomes magical. And listening to the podcast, hearing the title of the podcast and trying to pitch you guys on writing a book and what you guys are doing. I mean, that's the next iteration. I'm going to get you guys by the end of the show to have a book and an outline. But, you know, during this show, let's focus on how we got to go big to give big. I love that title. I absolutely love that. And that's one of the coolest things about being a part of a mastermind is getting connected to guys like yourself and then connecting a few years later and touching back on a few stories. But what I really wanted to start this podcast with was just talking about, obviously, you've had some success in your life and you had a restaurant and a single shop, and then you've now gone on to become a real estate mogul of sorts. But was there like an aha moment in your life where you're going through some of these transitions that you realized that you were destined for something greater or something bigger inside of the capital world that we're living in? You know, I'll take you back to 2007. That's when my father passed away. And I was eight years old. I'd gone to work with him since I was an eight-year-old. He had a restaurant. And I thought every eight-year-old goes to work with the dad at the restaurant. So I grew up in the restaurant world. And I would tell everybody, it's not as glamorous as you think it is. You're born into it. And it is a difficult, tough, rewarding, at that time, very profitable, very lucrative. Things change though. Demographics change, fluid tastes change, Uber comes along, profit margins start to shrink, competition comes along. And in 2007, when my dad passed away, I really analyzed my life and I said, am I living his dream or am I living my dream? And I felt like my, I felt like my buddy left me. 
And uh, I sat there and I said, do I want to continue to do this? My body can continue to last this job. And am I going to be able to provide for my six kids? I had four at the time. And I said, no. I read Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harbecker. And I'm like, wow, this guy is really an asshole. <laughs> and then I read it again. And I'm like, wow, this guy's really right. Usually that's what happens. But the truth hurts. And I thought he was writing a book about me. And I'm like, the fruits are in your roots. And I was what the hell is he talking about? I'm like, wow. At the time, Obama gets elected. I'm blaming Bush. I'm blaming McCain. I'm blaming Obama. No, I'm not blaming myself. I didn't have the skills. I was making what I was making because I deserved to make what I was making because I wasn't providing enough value for people. I had one single shop, like you said, one restaurant. I could only serve a couple hundred people a day. And at that point, I said, that's it. I need to learn. I need to scale up. I had bought a couple of other real estate investments prior in the last couple of years that really didn't do too well. Went out there. I sought mentorship. I paid for my education. I invested in it. There's two ways. You either pay in the, as they say, in the classroom or you pay out on the street. I'm going to tell everybody paying out on the street is a lot more money. It's all, it wastes a lot more time. And I did that. And that was a pivotal sound moment for me because that got me prepared. Because I don't really believe in luck. I believe that God puts things in, into your life and you need to act upon them. I met Jake in 2009 at the restaurant. And in 2011, he moves to Knoxville, Tennessee. And we decide to partner up. I'm the one who knew the business. I'm the one who knew how to underwrite deals, who knew how to go out and talk to brokers and the whole nine yards. He was learning, but what he was motivated and hungry. So he had both value propositions amongst each other. And I guess the rest is history. In 2013, we bought our first deal. And 2022, now we've got uh, 1,500 units. We've only had one deal that's syndicated. So the vast majority of that is our portfolio. We've been able to scale, but it all started back with that self-reflection, that analysis of, am I on the right path? And for me, it wasn't. And it was a reflection of, I'm not creating enough impact myself and I'm not growing. And I'm at the point where you get to become middle age and you say to yourself, hmm, do I want cars or do I want to create impact? Do I want to create a legacy? I wanted to create a legacy and I wanted to make my kids proud of me. Ultimately, that's what I want. I want to be a great role model for them and to say that Pops is going to work because he loves to work. And I, Pops is working hard and hard work is really good. At the restaurant, I was working hard. I was coming home frustrated. And I'm like, I don't really like this. This is not, this doesn't feel in congruency with my values. It's really all about values-based decision-making. And I wasn't living up to my core values and what my beliefs were not being home with the family during the holidays, working on the weekends and not creating the life that I wanted for my family and making those excuses. So long answer, but the short answer is that self-reflection and reading that book really changed my life. Oh, dude, that's so good. And there's like 50 different directions that you just brought up that I wanted to take this, but I'm just going to tail on to the, the end of what you just shared there, but your core values. And I've seen that in listening to your podcasts and, and hearing what you've done throughout your community and all the testimonials that come from your group. You guys are just such a well-respected group out in the industry. And one of the things that I noticed on your website is that you guys just have your core values promoted right there on the front, which are people first, growth mindset, unwavering ethics, extreme ownership, and make it happen. How did you come up with these? Have they evolved over the time that you've built the business? And how often do you touch on them and look at them? There's a reason why we only had one restaurant for 20 years. It's because I didn't have core values. Every time there was a problem, I hired an employee. I blame the employee. Never looked within myself and said, well, how am I blaming, how am I hiring this employee? What are my expectations? What is the vision or the mission for my one restaurant? You can still have core values for one location. I just didn't have them. I didn't know what they were. And when Jake and I set upon starting, we didn't have them in the beginning. 
We were just simple entrepreneurs trying to buy real estate. We didn't understand that real estate is an entrepreneurial venture. We create multifamily entrepreneurs at Jake and Gino. That's what we do through our three-step framework, buy right, manage right, and finance right. And the manage right portion is skipped over often. And it's such an important component, but to be able to build systems, you need to do that. We talk about three things. We need people, we need systems, and we need culture. And we just had Steve Robinson on our podcast. He's one of the chief marketing officers who used to work at Chick-fil-A. And he talks about this. You really can't work on somebody's culture. You really have to hire for culture. And for us, we have to figure out what our culture was. And if there's one word that defines our brand, our, our culture, I would say it's family. So for everybody listening, what is your brand or what is you, what do you want your brand to feel like? What do you want your culture to feel like? And at, at the 600 unit mark, we're like, we're going to continue to grow. We have to start hiring a bunch of people. How are we going to hire people unless we start creating these core values and the mission statement? And we basically had to go back to the drawing board, spend thousands and thousands of dollars, invest in that education to scale up a company. And we all need to do that as entrepreneurs because we're not born on how to scale a company. We're not born on how to be a good salesperson. We're not born on how to go out and buy multifamily. We learn these skills. And it took a good six months to chunk those down. And those five are really unique to our company. And I think everyone has to flush out what's unique to their own brand, their own company. But what it ultimately comes down to us is that values-based decision-making. You need to really flush out what your values are. Look at your values. And for me, those values really were incongruent with the restaurant. Like I said, I didn't want to work on the weekends. I didn't want to work on the holidays. I'm saying I'm a family person, but yet I'm working on that. I'm sacrificing a lot of time. I'm not working any less now. I'm just working different. I'm able to be more flexible with what I'm doing. So everybody needs to go out there work on their core values. We hire on our core values. We fire on our core values. We actually, we, when we do interviews, I want to make sure that the, our core values align with the person that we're speaking to. We're at Jacob's creating impact for, for students that we're onboarding. I'm a fiduciary. It's a fiduciary responsibility. I'm a steward to these people. I'm a role model to them. So I take that very seriously. So people first is truly important to me. Extreme ownership. I'm not making excuses. I'm packing books. I'm going to be on this podcast at 4.30. My partner is the same way. Growth mindset. If you don't have a growth mindset in this economy as an entrepreneur, you might as well just pack it in. And for me to have a growth mindset means I'm reading a, about a, a book every 10 to 15 days. And I want my, my people who are working with to do that. Marketing's changing. YouTube is changing. Algorithms are changing. If you're not staying up with the times, then you're going to die. And for me, that's a really important one. And unwavering ethics, I think most entrepreneurs can gravitate towards that. I really, if there's a mistake, if there's something wrong, if we've done something wrong, I really want to fess up to that. But to your question, if you don't have core values and you don't have that North Star, and then you don't know when to hire somebody, and this is everybody in the team, whether you're dealing with a vendor, whether you're dealing with an employee, whether you're dealing with a property management company, whatever that is, they need to be in alignment with you. Because if they don't, then that relationship can't flourish and you can't trust that person on the other side. And that's brilliant. I love all the different pieces of the core values, the systems, the culture, the people, all that is super important. Just before I ask my next question, quickly for context, how big is your staff now today? For the Jake and Gino side, we probably have, ten, I think we're on 10 full-timers. Then we obviously have the coaching staff, which is like another, another eight to 10 coaches. And on the property management side, we've got between 50 and 60 property managers, maintenance techs, people in back office, HR, accounting. It's grown pretty large in the last four to five years. So you really need to, t really need to start implementing systems. And that's why the person that when you start out with buying your first or second deal, 
you grow out of that person real quick once you're into your fifth or sixth deal. That iteration becomes a different person. So you need to continue to grow and evolve. It's challenging. It's scary. But man, it's a lot of fun because you start learning stuff about yourself. And I challenge everybody out there who's afraid. You guys are both doing a podcast together. My partner, Jake, it's Jake and Gino. It's great to have an amazing partner because that accountability is there. He sees things a lot differently than I do. He may be aggressive on some things. I may be aggressive on other things. To balance ideas off and to hold each other accountable. And it's a lot of fun to do with somebody you like and when you're working with because there are days where you're like, holy right? another fire. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. But you know, someone else is going through it with you and it's a lot more comforting to have that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And just like Kobe Bryant, I never get bored of the basics. So I want to ask you a bit of a basic question here, but in along with the people, the systems, the culture, the core values, what are some absolute essentials people need to scale their businesses? Well, you need the right mindset. I think the book Mindset by Carol Dweck changed everything for me as well. It's you either have a fixed mindset where you're fixed, this is what it is, I'm not going to grow. Or that growth mindset where you're like, I need to learn certain things. We didn't have an org chart. When you have three people, there's no such thing as an org chart. You don't have anything about onboarding employees when you have three people. You don't have anything about having an HR department where you're hiring actually an HR. We don't have that when we start on. And as far as growing and scaling, this may sound simple, but you need the right people. And you need that have the ability to let go. I was that control freak with that one restaurant where I'm like, I'm doing everything. I'm washing the dishes. I'm cooking the chicken parm. I'm going to pack the damn chicken parm too. How are you going to scale that way? There's no possible way. And if somebody can do it, even 50% of what I can do, I can do other things that produce and generate more revenue. So for the Jake and Gino, I have to be more forward-facing. I have to go out and become a better podcaster. I have to go out and create better content. I have to have better messaging. I have to do all these things that I need to become the visionary of the company. And I need to have people on my team that can help me execute other mundane tasks that may seem important. And I may seem as if I'm doing something throughout the day, but are they really producing the results? We can hire out for those things. And that's, for me, was one of the hardest challenges. I'm still having those challenges, but I'm growing. And I'm as I'm growing and I'm getting the right people on staff, I'm letting them dictate that. And I'm going on to bigger tasks for the, for the organization. I think as we grow too, it's interesting because I heard a quote, I can't remember who it's by exactly, but it was like the the more valuable you can the more value you can provide lots of times, the bigger problems you are you're solving. And along with those bigger problems come harder decisions, I also find. So how do you approach dealing with a hard decision? What I'm just doing right now, I'm reflecting upon that question and not making a snap judgment. I think our generation is more prone to instant gratification. So when you have a hard judgment, put the phone down and try to take a few minutes. And I'll go, I'll speak to my wife about it, although I love to argue with her. And I just sometimes, <laughs> when you hear the truth and she's like, damn it, she's right. And I just, you don't want to admit it. And my daughter actually, 15-year-old daughter, actually came up with a great idea yesterday. And I felt like an idiot because I'm like, why did I think of that? And I don't want to give her credit for it. I'm going to go back to her today and say, man, you had a great idea. I love it. We're going to hire that person as a consultant. But I, at the moment, I just couldn't do it. For me, I need a time of reflection. I really need to reflect upon the answer and not have that snap judgment. People see the world as they are, not as it is. I think that's part of the problem. When I see it, I really need to reflect upon it. I need to ask other people's advice also. Somebody who's gone through the journey sometimes say, well, what do you think about that? We're looking at getting radio ads to see about our multifamily mastery five. I've never done that before. I don't know what it looks like. So I'm going out there and asking other people, what's the spend? What's the return? What are the pros? What are the cons? And obviously I want to test and measure. I don't mind about, I'm reading a book called Ready, Fire, Aim. I think that's what I need to implement more in my life. I want to be ready 
I want to fire. And then after that, you know what made a mistake? I'm going to pivot. And then that's how I've led my life up until now. And I want to continue doing that. That's such a great answer to that question. And it truly is a hard process when you start making hard decisions. And like you said, when you slow down, relax, kind of just accept failure is going to happen. I was listening to Gary Vee the other day and he said something like, like, how do you manage 20 different companies? And he goes, I know 15 companies are going to have problems that I don't even know about or have screwed up in, but five are going to work really good. And that's all I'm focusing on because that's four more than most people even get to. And I was like, mm. oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I like I, that. I'd love to jump a little bit into some of your mindset here. I know you're a certified coach. Clearly from talking to you, you have a very big abundance mindset. What did the personal development growth journey do for you as a human? And how has that impacted your business along the way? I didn't have a growth mindset early on in a lot of ventures. I think we can have a fixed mindset in certain areas of our lives, and we can have a growth mindset in certain other areas. The words are very powerful. So the reason why I had that one restaurant, I'm going to come back to it. My parents, they were great. They were immigrants. They live in a different generation and a different society and different economy than we do now. That one restaurant back in the 70s and 80s could provide for four families an amazing middle-class income. It really could. I went on vacations. We drove Cadillacs. There was four families eating from one restaurant back in the 80s. That didn't happen. So when the 90s and 2000s come and we have that little recession going on, mom says, we've got to stay small can't take any risks. We've got to pull back. We can't spend as much. So that was just permeating from my mind. And that was the fixed mindset. And adopting that growth mindset was really important. I read the book by Garrett Gunderson, Killing Sacred Cows. And that really helped me out with abundance versus scarcity. And that really helped me out with sole purpose. And the next iteration was when I went to life coaching school, I really would recommend everybody listening to this show, take some type of life coaching, whether it's getting certified. You don't have to go that far. I just wanted personal development. I didn't know all the skills and the gifts and the tough questioning and the reflection that I would have gotten and received from it. But do a couple of courses, listen to a couple of videos on it, fill out some worksheets. I'm sure that my brother-in-law is going through this process right now. He's in his fifties. And I texted him and I said, how's your first life coaching call going? And he actually, all the only word he said was it's heavy. So when you hear it, that means you're making progress because that's real. There's a weight on you and you're really thinking about it. How many people do you actually take the time to sit down and work on themselves? They're always working on something else because it's really hard working on yourself. Another book that I recommend by Phil McKernan, One Last Talk, freaking amazing book. I love Phil. He's an amazing life coach. Work on yourself, work on what you need to work on. And for me, that life coaching, going to school, becoming certified, going through that process really helped me out with being a better listener asking empowering questions, being able to set proper goals, all that process that I learned through coaching, I would really challenge everybody out there who wants to grow personally and ultimately learn how to help others just go through that process of life coaching. I was so skeptical about personal development when I first started dipping my toe into it. And I'm so grateful that I have and been committed to it over the last five or six years. It's absolutely changed my world and couldn't agree with you more there, Gino. Let me ask you a question. When, you, when somebody asks you and mentioned personal development, what pictures came in your mind? What did you think of when you heard of the word personal development? I think it wasn't necessarily about the pictures in my mind at the time. I think it was more about the ego I had at the time of not being, I guess, like in control of my life and the facing the truth, I think is what it was. So I didn't want to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest part. And then once I started to look in the mirror and get that self-awareness 
of not only who I wanted to become, but who I was presently, you get to kind of calculate that map between where you are now to where you want to be. And then you can kind of work with coaches like yourself to be able to create that the stepping stones and to create that path to the destination. And then it's all, it's all about the journey along, along the way as well. But I think that was probably more so what it was. And you led me to the point of Stephen Covey's book, Start With The End In Mind. That's what you ended up doing. You actually had clarity of what you want your life to look like on your deathbed or 30 years out. Most of us don't do that because we can't think that far. And I'm, I'm not saying you have to nail that picture, but what's that picture look like? For me, it was like, I want my six children there. I want my 25 grandchildren there. I want to have thousands of Jake and Gino students there. I want to have my wife taken care of. She doesn't have to worry about money. I want my grandkids taken care of. So what do I need to do? I need to reverse engineer what that picture looks like. And I need to start working on it because that's a pretty big damn picture for me. And not being overwhelmed, working with a partner and saying that it's okay and being able to pivot. That picture may change and will always change, but at least I have a reference guide to where I want to go to. And it's really cool that you did the same thing. And most of us who want to achieve something out into the future, we need to really stop and do that. As we were sharing about the restaurant, you mentioned like your mother, I think you said, when you entered a little bit of that recession back in the, I guess it'd be like late or mid eighties, I think, right? And the mindset was to retract. There's been a lot of talk now about a correction or recession in the North American market, I'll say, and maybe even globally, but we won't go down that path. But how specifically are you helping your business succeed into these, I'll just call them turbulent or unknown times? We've been in a retraction, I think, for the last two years. I think the average entrepreneur understands that what's been going on is there's money going out. Now, all of a sudden, companies are realizing that employees aren't productive and they're getting rid of them. They just had extra cash in the bank and they're like, oh, we got these extra employees. So for me, nothing's really going to change. I'm hoping that deals come down the pipeline. I'm, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping rates gone up a little bit. Sellers are like, well, we have to readjust these prices and there's more opportunity. I think as a recession hits, all the entrepreneurs out there have to understand that advertising and marketing gets cheaper. When 2020 hit and the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, Facebook marketing for three or four months was dirt cheap. I was like, what's going on? Because everyone pulls back. It's that scarcity mindset. It's that fear. So as entrepreneurs, we need to sharpen the saw. We need to lean into this. And I think there's a bunch of opportunity out there. Shut, shut the TV off because Democrats are like, there's no recession. What's a recession? And Republicans are like, we're in a recession. Who cares what either one of them says? They don't create solutions. They create the problems. We're the ones, the three of us and everyone listening to this show that are going to create the solutions for what the hell they're creating. So don't listen to them. And I'll give you a side note. With my mom back in the late 2000s, early 2000s, I started investing with Jake. I didn't tell her about it because what she was telling me is, you've got six mouths to feed. You're taking on a big risk. And until I had 200 units and I was sure that I was leaving, which took about three or four years, the restaurant, I told her she was flabbergasted. So for those of you out there, this is a woman that I was very intimate with. I saw her every day. I was working hand in hand with her all the time. And that was something that was dawning and, and eating at me. But if I shared that with her, She's trying to save me. She's trying to protect me. But at the same time, she's taking me down that rabbit hole of you're taking too much risk because we, we lost money in a couple of deals, but that's an opportunity to learn. And I'm like, okay, mom, when I told her, she was thrilled for me, but she just didn't understood how I did that. So for those of you out there, find the people around you that are going to support you. And they're going to say, hey, good job. All she was trying to do is protect me, but I'm thankful that I didn't tell her anything. And what I did is like, okay, mom, 
ready to leave here. Thanks me to uh, my next question about family. And obviously you have a pretty big one with six kids and a loving wife. And from what I know, you homeschool your kids or you did at one point. And you and your wife also run a podcast together. It sounds like you're pretty involved with your family. How has the journey been trying to run a restaurant as an entrepreneur, then switch into this crazy real estate thing with your family and having the support of them, all while trying to continue to maintain a healthy relationship with your wife, with your kids, while you're running conferences and traveling and doing everything like that. What's that journey like for yourself? I was fortunate with the restaurant and that the kids came to work with me. So they would work with me. They work with grandma up front. So it was always embedded in that. They'd come and have lunch at the restaurant. We'd take food home. So they were always around the space. And I enjoyed that family, business, life balance. As an entrepreneur, if you can in- include your kids, it is a lot of fun because the way they, what they hear now, it's a different mindset. My 23-year-old daughter graduated college last year. She's a Catholic missionary right now. She's doing missionary work. My eight-year-old is probably not going to go down that route because she's been in the real estate space. She hears all the, the jargon and it's just a different different atmosphere. Try to include them. The kids come to all of our events. They're around people. It's awesome. That, I mean, we've written kids books for them also as well. So to include them at every step of the way is really important. And for my wife and I, the podcast was just started out by the fact that kids got a little bit older. She's got a little bit of free time. She wants to have impact as well. She became a coach, a life coach, a Christian life coach because of what I was doing. She thought at first, what do you, that's nonsense. What do you do? But then when she actually went to a couple of events and met people and were like, wow, this is life-changing, she learned that skill. And she's like, Gina, let's get on a podcast. Let's talk about spousal relationships. Let's talk about how you work with your spouse. Let's talk about communication and the five love languages. Let's talk about how to incorporate family life into business life because they don't have to be separate and distinct. I think they should be very intertwined. As far as what's been successful for me, kids were here at the office today. We're all having lunch today. Come do the podcast after. It's a lot of fun to include them. And homeschooling, not for everybody. It's challenging. My wife puts a lot of hours a day into it. But anything in life that you commit to, there's going to be sacrifices in life. And the things that you really are committed to and you really excel at, you're going to look back and go, I'm thankful that I did that. Was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. Trying to start the business with Jake, that was one of the harder things that I've done, but I had to sacrifice a lot of stuff. No golf for me, no going out drinking with buddies, no going on vacations with the buddies, but I sacrificed that, but I've got something different. So I I think when you're out there, assess what your values are. If family is one of those core values, don't make the excuse that I can't include my kids. Don't make the excuse that starting a podcast with kids for your kids or writing a book with your kids, sharing that information, sharing your community with your kids. That's powerful stuff for them. And you're, you're, you're their role model. You want them to look at you and go, I want to be just like dad. That's beautiful. I absolutely love that. And something Cole Hatter, a mutual friend of ours, talks about, and I think he got it from Eric Thomas. Like, I just want to be a seven-figure everything. I don't want to have seven figures in my bank account. I want to be a seven-figure father, seven-figure husband, seven-figure everything in life, not mm-hmm. just in the bank account. And it sounds like you're doing a very good job of setting that stage for your kids and for yourself. And one of the things that I think is an inspiration for not just your kids, but for everyone around was that you guys have now transitioning into the giving side of this podcast. You guys have created a charity component to your business. And one of the things that you want to do is you guys have pledged to donate 1 million meals by 2030. Just curious, what inspired you to want to start giving back? It's something that a lot of companies do in private, but you guys are pretty public about it and you're very giving in the philanthropic adventures that you do. So walk us through the transition that you took to become more philanthropic in what you're doing. 
it's all started in 2007. My father just passed away and we were introduced to the Franciscan Friars of the Renault, their Catholic organization. And they have a friary down in Harlem called St. Joseph's Friary. And every year they have a Thanksgiving meal for all the people who live in their neighborhood. So that year, restaurant, I said, I'll cook turkey. I'll cook Thanksgiving meal for everybody. I went down there and it's an indigent part. It's gentrifying, but there's still single resident occupants. There's still a lot of government housing there. A lot of people who are addicted to drugs and it's just a rough neighborhood. But every year they come and they serve the poor. So that first Thanksgiving, I went down there, brought about 10 turkeys, 150 people. All my kids were there. And it was friggin' awesome because in the city, Thanksgiving doesn't feel like a holiday. It just feels like another day. And when you start feeding these people and you start serving them, and I think service, showing your children that service is such an important component. Become a, to become a leader, in my estimation, you have to learn how to serve others. And by serving others, that shows humility, that shows grace, and that, that shows that you have gifts that you can give. And that first one, I'll never forget it because the food was awesome. These people have never eaten turkey like that in their lives. They've never had penne vodka like that. They've never had stuffing like that. I mean, it was just amazing. But not even that, the smiles on their faces. And then for them to see that it's Thanksgiving is such a great holiday to be with family. They don't have family. So to be there and to see that my kids are there also, and children don't understand, They'll, they see, but they can never internalize another person's struggle, but they can actually see that they're really fortunate as well. So, so to give that to my children as well, was also powerful, but just to see the look on their faces, it was freaking awesome. It was an awesome day. I've been doing it ever since then. So 2020, obviously we couldn't go down because of the pandemic. So I've missed the last year, but I've still been able to donate food every year. And it's up to 15 turkeys we cook for the day. And then on top of that, we would go down on the 4th of July and have a feast with them, have a cookout on the 4th of July, hot dogs, hamburgers, watermelon. You got to put a little Italian food in there. We always got to throw the penne vodka in there. But that to me was... I started small, right? And everyone thinks they have to start off by writing a million dollar check. Just start small. It's like building a business. Build your first business. Start your first donation. Start your first outreach. It could be a $10 check. It could be whatever, but start and you'll start growing muscles because from that, then all of a sudden I started donating money to missionaries, to people who wanted to go to missions, to go outwards. And then from there, we started the second harvest food bank where it was just like, ah, let's just donate a few meals. And within five meals, I've got an amazing team at Jake and Gino. Big shout out to Shannon and to Johnny G. We're at 280,000 meals and we invite them to our live events every year. And it's amazing what we've been able to do. We actually go to their warehouse this past May. We had, they had a food drive outside. We were packing cars and to see that for three hours, over 500 cars lined up on a Friday and we're packing their cars and filling their cars up. It's amazing. And then obviously going on to that and I'm doing an orphanage in Honduras as well where I'm donating money every month and taking care of a couple of kids every month. So it just gets bigger and bigger. As you make more money, you start to say to yourself, how can I impact more people? Try to try to grow it. And it was from that one little event back in 2007 where I saw that you really impact people. It's not just about stroking a check. That's great. But get down and dirty sometimes. When you get down and dirty, you'd be surprised at how it changes you as a person. And once again, having your family there, it's really important for them to see what you're doing to others. That's incredibly inspiring, Gino. Thank you for sharing all that and congrats on the nearly 300,000 meals that you've already been able to, to donate. Thank you. How would you, so you wouldn't be on the show if you didn't have an element of giving already just ingrained in you, obviously, the Go Big to Give Big podcast, right? How would you view yourself if you stopped giving? 
You asked that question. And Steve, I wasn't that big of a giver early on because like I said, I had the immigrant mentality. It's scarcity mentality. Like parents lived in World War II. What do you get in your next meal? You, you can't give. I mean, you have to scroll away yourself. So I learned, especially I have a great role model. It's my wife. So she was, you want to become financially free, Gino, great. But what are we going to do with the money? We can't all keep it to ourselves. And for me, learning that from her was really important. Now, I had more than enough money that I need. What am I going to do with it? It's just sitting in a bank account. And to me, I don't know if you'd mentioned this on your question, I think, but the go-giver mentality is really big in business. So when you're giving, you feel fulfilled, but it always seems to come back to you in a different way. It really does. The friars have been a really big component of my life as far as the formation for my children. They've become really faithful. They've become great adults and that's something that they've seen witness of what they're doing as far as serving the poor. And my kids see that. So they've become their role models. So for me, if I stopped giving, I don't know. It would be, I think I'd probably, you probably, I don't want to call it whole my heart, but you'd have a void in your life. It's like, okay, everything's for me, for me, for me, but it would just, it wouldn't, well, like again, once again, with the core values, it wouldn't be in alignment with my values. I'd feel something is off. I wouldn't know. And then I'd be like, huh. And it's gotten to the point where I'm trying to find other opportunities. I just had a podcast with a chef named Father Leo. He is an amazing chef. He's written three or four cookbooks. I'm thinking of a way to set up a fundraiser where we can charge by the plate because he's actually been on a show with Bobby Flay and he's beaten Bobby Flay and Bobby Flay's show. That's how good this guy is. So I want to do a show with him. I want to get my chef coat on. I want to have the kids around raise 10 or 15 grand for an event. So just trying to think outside the box and to make it fun. Let's make giving fun. Let's make it impactful. And let's try to, I guess, corral as many people into the situation as possible because Shannon and John have been able to grow this to 300,000 meals almost because it's part of our culture. It's what our employees want. You had talked about the millennial generation. They want to work towards something. And I think we all do. If there's a vision to working towards something, if we're making profit, profit is the fuel. It's not the destination. So if you're making profit, what are we using it for? What's the ultimate destination? It's to impact ourselves, but also to impact others. So if we can help and have our employees and give them the platform to say, hey, this is what we want to do. To me, not thinking not having brand cares or second harvest in our life, in our company would suck. Short answer. It wouldn't be good. <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of touched on where I was going to take my last question here was, but like, what is giving done for your company? So what has it done for the culture? What has it done for your students? What has it done for just your brand as a whole? Like what is giving done for your company? Tenants maybe even. And it's a great question for us. Like I said, Shannon and John really love the initiative. And when we do our food drives every year, we're able to actually go out and solicit money from our Jake and Gino community. They like to give also because they don't know where to give during Thanksgiving. And they'll donate to our charities. When we go to Second Harvest, when we bring them out to MM5, I'd match whatever money that comes from the event. We sell swag. I donate 50% of the profits of our swag to them as well. And then anyone who's there at the event can write a check as well. And I matched that. And I think the company sees that. And you walk, what do they say? You walk the walk, walk the talk. If we're going to talk about it, I want that to be visible. I don't want to use it as a marketing tool. I don't want to say, hey, this is great. This is what we're doing. But at the same time, we came out with this venture for Second Harvest because my partner, Jake, gets really pissed when kids don't have food because he's always hangry. If he doesn't eat, he gets really pissed off. He's like, the adults can take care of themselves. But little kids, 
they don't have that choice. They don't have that decision to be able to feed themselves. So that's why he really loved this organization. And I don't know, something like 90 something percent of the money that gets donated goes directly to to all of the different organizations or all the different people that they're donating to. So it's a really well-run organization. And it's Jake's mission to feed hungry kids. So that's why we did it. And when we talk about it, we can see that the employees, they really like the mission itself and it really aligns with our core values. So I want to ask you one more question here, Gino, right before we kind of hop into our rapid fire round and we'll close off the the podcast episode. But I guess even before that, I just want to say thank you, man. I think it's been a real pleasure just kind of having a conversation here with you and hearing everything you have to say here. But I want you to take a second and kind of brag on yourself in a way where look back into a time where it's a memory of giving that is really profound for you, big or small, but every time you think about it, it still gives you goosebumps. There's been a lot. I think that one that I mentioned in 2007 was really big for me. I also think the, the one we have in Honduras, I donate to an orphanage down there and they write letters from kids. And you get letters from kids and you say to yourself, these kids are orphaned. They come from really bad families and we're able to provide money for them. And we get letters from them and you see some of these letters. It's like, wow, we have such first world problems here. And these people really struggle with the basics. They don't even have clean water. They don't have a mom or dad, drug infested homes. And to be able to provide for them, that has been I love that mission. I love to be, to be able to do that because it, it doesn't cost a lot of money to be able to provide for people in South America and Central America. It really doesn't. And to be able to provide for that mission has been awesome. And there are corresponding letters between my children and them. So to see those letters, it's really cool. I really enjoy that. It's beautiful, man. And so special getting those letters is probably just makes you probably hard to read them without trying to tear up too much. So that's, that's special. We're going to jump into our giving round now. Some quick rapid fire questions for you. Simple and easy. The first one's maybe a bit of a lib, but you can explore it as much as you want. Break on one charity that you like right now. I do like a second harvest food bank. We have one in East Tennessee. There are chapters all over the country. I think there's one in Florida, but I really do like them. They're a great organization. What gets you more excited? Donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others? If I could spend the week physically helping others and pull that away, I probably would love to do that because you get to know the people, you get to know the mission, you get involved. And it's, I think life is all about human connection. Real connect with others is so important. Very cool. Who inspires you with their giving? That's a tough question. When I have to think about role models as far as giving, once again, it's the Franciscan Friars of the Renault. Their vocation is, you know, chastity, poverty, and obedience. And they give up their lives to serve the poor. I mean, St. Francis is pretty freaking amazing. He was so wealthy and he's like, pops, I'm giving this up and I'm going out and I'm helping others. So to think about that, for them to give up a vocation, because this life can be so tempting and so easy. We have cell phones, we have technology, we can eat great food, but to sort of give that away and say, I'm going to serve the poor. That is pretty freaking amazing. That's somebody who's locked in and knows what their mission is in life. So when I look at that and I have some discomforts in life, I'm like, I can give a little bit more money. They're giving up their lives. They're giving up what they believe in to, to go towards a vocation. I'm like, that's really inspiring to me. You think that starting entrepreneurs should include donations as a line item from day one or wait until they've seen a little bit of success and some money in the bank account? That's a personal question. What I would say is it doesn't have to be just money. It can be time. 
If you're an entrepreneur, you have a skill and you want to mentor a young adult, that's a great way to get back because that one hour of time may not equate to a lot of money to you, but it is invaluable. You, time is worth a lot more than money. So start as soon as possible and start building up that muscle. It doesn't have to be a lot, but make it intentional and try to make it impactful and also make it to the point that you're not expecting anything else in return. I think that's important mm-hmm. at all. When you're out there helping others, there's a really weird thing that happens is things start coming back to you without you even expecting it. So start as soon as possible. And like I said, it doesn't have to be money. It could be time. It could be helping out somebody else in need. It could just be jumping on a call with somebody and listening to their problems. Man, that makes you grow. Let me tell you something. It makes you have a life of gratitude. We haven't talked about gratitude at all on the show, but once you see what else other things are going on out there, you're pretty grateful for what you have. Because there's a lot of people out there who have a lot less than what you do. So you're really great. You'll become really grateful. And when you live a life of gratitude, you can't live a life of fear. That's the bottom line. No true words been spoken. When you hear go big to give big, what does it mean to you? That's a tough question. You want to go big to give big. If you think about it, you don't want, Steve Robinson said this on the podcast, and I don't want to get bigger. I want to get better. So before I can go big, I need to get better. So as I'm getting better, I'm getting bigger. And as I'm getting bigger, I can give more, whether it's my time, whether it's my resources, whether it's my treasure. And I think about that as I'm making more money, I'm able to donate more. I'm able to impact more. I'm able to influence more. As I become a bigger influencer online, I'm able to get the Father Leos of the world to come down and to do an event. I can take a day off and do that. I can host an event and impact more if I've got more time or more money or more influence. So I think as you go bigger, I I think it does become your duty if that's one of your core values to actually go out there and give more. Love it. In one word, please describe the feeling you get when you give. That one word would be happy. It just doesn't make you happy because it's like, okay, great. I did it. It feels good. And it can become sort of addictive, to be honest with you, because when you're changing people's lives and you get those emails, it's like, oh, man, I got another email. And that's also when I started the education. I wasn't really monetizing in the beginning, but I was getting emails from people listening to our podcast going, dude, I just closed another deal. Or thanks for writing that book. Thanks for just putting those words out. I really connect with you. That's sort of the same. I get sort of the same feeling when I'm giving as far as I'm giving my time or my treasure. It just makes you happy. And I think that's what we're all striving to do is that happiness, ultimately, that feeling ultimately leads to a feeling of success. Not achievement, but of success. I equate happiness to success in my life. Awesome. I love that word. So simple. Final question. We ask all of our guests. It's the age-old question you've heard before. I want to ask you, Gino, do you believe money can buy you happiness? I think money can make you more comfortable. I'll give you a quick example. I flew back from Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, never flew on Delta One. I don't know, for those few hours on Delta One, expensive, I was happy for a few hours. Now, afterwards, it burns off. So I don't think money can make you happy. Money can make you comfortable and money can give you more options. And I think the quality of your life depends on the quality of the options you have. So I think the more optionality you have is great. So I think money is not going to make me happy, but I think what money can do for me can make me happy. Because I, like I just said, when I donate money or I give it away, I'm a happy person. So if I don't have the money to donate or give, I'm not as happy. I can find other ways to be happy by, like I said, giving my time or helping others. But I think it's a tough question to answer because we all think money in a different way. It's such a charged word, money. Money's just a tool. How are you going to use it? That's the real question. 
Awesome. I love that question. And we get so many different responses and all of them are great. So I appreciate hearing your perspective on it. And we've had so much fun having you come on, man. It's so great getting to talk to someone as passionate as you are about giving. And one thing we want to give to you is your ability to just share how people can get in touch with you and start seeing more of your content and getting involved in your circle. So where can people find you at? Just go to jakeandgino.com. We've gone a bunch of podcasts. We've got a bunch of articles. We've got books. If you want to reach out to me, it's gino at jakeandgino.com. I can give you a free copy of Little Profits, one of our books, but just go to jakeandgino.com. You'll find all the resources there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so that we can give bigger with our profits and just providing a team with so much knowledge and our audience is so lucky to have had the ability to hear you speak and share with them. So thank you for joining us. Randy, Steve, I enjoyed myself. A little bit of reflection, a little bit of thinking on this podcast. I truly enjoyed it. I hope you guys have a great afternoon. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, Always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.